Hi guys and welcome to a very special episode of the Kitabi Karwan podcast. First of all, this podcast was brought to you in association with Backstage. Backstage is a new social networking platform that enables you to connect with live audiences over audio-based conversations. It's a supremely interesting app where you can talk to your friends or you can talk to different people, join rooms, have conversations about anything that you like and have these rooms recorded, have different participants tune in and well basically just invent your life around it i am personally a huge fan of the app and we have collaborated to start hosting certain interesting conversations with authors writers and other bibliophiles or anyone related to the book industry and for our very first collaboration we interviewed kabir bedi about his memoir stories i must tell the podcast that you're about to hear was recorded on backstage live in an interaction with kabir bedi while other people could tune in and comment at the same time and leave their chat comments and ask Kabir Bedi direct questions and you might hear Mukdad the co-founder of uh, one of the co-founders of Backstage talking alongside with me on this podcast and the future podcasts that we do with Backstage as she stays on as a moderator also you can check out this exact same podcast along with all the comments and chats left by different people who are listening to this conversation live on the app itself The link to the app and my profile is in the bio of this podcast. Please head over, download the app, check it out. I'm sure you will love it. But without any further ado, here we go. Good evening, Mr. Bedi. Welcome to Backstage. Thank you, Mukda. Hi, Siddharth. Hello, Kabir. Hello. I was just tell uh, I was just telling Kab- uh, you know uh, Siddharth Kabir that look what I found. I found the Sandokan theme song. Oh wow! How fantastic! <laughs> How fantastic! <laughs> So and I was very chuffed about it. Marvelous! <laughs> that song rocked the whole of Europe and yeah. still is played on radio stations all over Europe. Right. And and I'm seeing uh, many versions of it. There is instrumental version of it. There's a guitar cover of it. There is all kinds of uh, remixes that came up with it. So I'm like pretty stoked about the fact that you know I'm going to watch this now and try and get hold of this. <laughs> okay, that's great news. <laughs> and and unit kabir was that the fact that we just spoke about this that somehow you know how there's a different generation of people who look at you as sandokan and from khunbari mang and i look at you mm-hmm. as i as i told you my first memory of you as an actor was from mehuna and i absolutely loved you in that and your right. voice is still ringing in my head that way <laughs> thank you thank you <clears throat> All right so a uh, very uh, good evening dear friends a big day for us at backstage um, we are chatting with uh, the legendary Kabir Bedi and he is in conversation with our very treasured partner from Kitabi Karwa uh, Siddharth Gupta Siddharth has been a major bibliophile since childhood and um, um his uh, book related content uh, that is on Instagram uh, is loved by many and we are so glad that siddharth is uh, here to interview kabir so over to you siddharth and i can't wait to hear more from kabir thank you Look for the lovely it. introduction mukda and uh, before before we kick this off uh, guys i've spoken to mr bedi about this and he said that i can call him kabir and as i said earlier i'm so stoked about this because it's so rare <laughs> for you to call anyone who's been knighted by the italian government on by his first name so thank you mr kabir <laughs> for do, letting me do, do that my pleasure my pleasure but uh, yeah but but kabir like this is uh, this must be somewhat surreal for you right like i mean the first your memoir kicks off from this right how your first gig was for the airwaves as a freelance reporter with all india radio 
and right. years later with all the technology <clears throat> and everything and the reemergence of audio as the standout platform we're back on a platform which is slightly more personal than air but uh, yeah like you're back to some place with again talking on audio how does it feel um it's 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 wonderful i've always loved uh, uh radio because it's part of the whole spectrum of broadcasting which i also love and as a cub reporter in all india radio um learning that the beatles had come into town and determined to interview them um what what fire in the belly got me to them um and uh, the surrealness of, of being in the same room with the beatles who were not just the greatest musicians um for me but also symbols of the era of the 60s uh, that i came to age in so the 60s and everything associated with it um they were symbols of and that radio interview and all that happened after that uh changed my life and gave me a whole new direction in life so it was a seminal beginning to my uh, career and that's why i began my book with it right and i i think this is somewhat surreal for me as well because i think i'm experiencing something similar although i'm not in the same room with you but well we're doing an audio interview well <laughs> thank you for saying so but we are part of the virtual space now <laughs> it's all virtual you know yeah. um gulzar sahab said something very beautiful the other day right. he said khud se zyada main apne mobile ko sambhalta hu kyunki sare rishte abhi isi mein qaid hain all our relationships <laughs> are now down to mobiles <laughs> and uh, virtual spaces on our computer and the internet Yeah when when you think about it that's the first thing you reach for right in the morning or at least like a lot of us do like if you have to reach out to people but um kabhi like just getting back to your memoir to be completely honest as someone who's 26 i've mostly known you either through your work you know in this century or right. you know from what i've heard from other people about you right. and you know you wrote a lot about how <laughs> he has loved you as sandokan and how bollywood is still crazy about you know what you did in khun bari mang and loved you in it but you yeah. know the fact that still remains that it created an insane buzz in you know, a circle around me that you know i'm i'm getting to do this interview with you and really i love it here yeah and in your memoir you often dwell on this as well right on the love that you received both from the paparazzi and the audience but yes. something that i found missing was that you rarely spoke about the burden of it all Do you, does this bother you sometimes that every action of yours or you know however insignificant it may be has like a disproportionate impact or consequence or something that you think should really not matter for people or is just a personal decision and it just has ramifications beyond your control or just comes back to you in a very yeah. way it's it, it's it's a, it's it's a good question to that because you know uh, the fact of the matter is if you choose to be a celebrity and work bloody hard at it and and become a celebrity and become a star in certain countries and known in certain ways then there is a natural um desire for people to know more about you and to report what you do say your deeds misdeeds etc get amplified that comes with the territory now the the the, the desire of people to know more about a celebrity is a natural desire the desire of a celebrity celebrity to keep some aspects of his life to himself is also a desire these are competing desires they're not competing rights so there's a kind of strange uh, line that has to be drawn in the sand between what 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 the celebrity would ideally like and what um people in general would like 
But there is a burden in terms of the fact that you really are not as free as you want to be um, to do and say certain things because you realize that being a celebrity has carries a certain responsibility with it. You influence a lot of people. You, you can't get away with saying irresponsible things and not be not be held accountable for them. Um, that is there. You are under the microscope. And as I said, that comes with the territory and one just has to accept it and hope that if things are misreported, in the end, truth will out. What I did find was that in some aspects of my life, um, truth did not come out. And therefore, in this memoir of mine, um, my autobiography, I have taken the trouble to uh, set down the record, tell the truth that I saw my story, my truth, and tell it as honestly as I could. And and the title perfectly reflects that, right? Stories I must tell, like that, the must being the key word there. <laughs> key word there, and also right. the emotional life of an actor. So it's, right. it's told through a, an emotional prism. Otherwise, <clears throat> you know, a lot of autobiographies are full of all the great achievements that people did and all the wonderful people they met, etc. Right. And it becomes a boring compendium of uh, of good things. Um, in my book, I, I since I've told it through the emotional prism of people and places that I've known and loved, um, it, it it allows for um, it allows for, for for me to share uh, my weaknesses and my mistakes as well. It allows me to talk about others' mistakes and. Right. Um, uh, the problems they created me with equal honesty. So that 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 was, uh, I guess, part of the deal in the way I chose to wrote, write my my story. Right, but um, and as you mentioned, Kabir, like you know, a lot of your like as a celebrity has the trade off, right? They do sacrifice some of their privacy. And one aspect of your life that has been intensely scrutinized and spoken about has been your romantic equations. And in your memoir, you yes. do speak about them. Not, not yes, at I do. Right. But what personally <clears throat> stood out for me was the fact that I could see a person who yearned for companionship, a complete yes. fulfilling kind. Right. Yes, but at the same yes. time, I also noticed you were mostly very logical and in what can be say a cliched way of saying this career driven in your decisions regarding them. Right. Which did create conflict on the emotional front. Right. Sometimes your moves, sometimes with regard to, uh, you know, how it would affect uh the other person's career or their choices. So, what made you choose one over the other in certain situations? Like, what was the thought process during these emotional turmoils? Because I did see what were your considerations, but I could not kind of decipher what was your, you know, the linkages that you drew that took you to the, these decisions. You know, that one thing there's been a constant need for me has been the need for companionship. Uh, which is why I believed in marriage, which is why I got married, um, right. you know, four times, divorced three times. Um, if I just wanted to be footloose and fancy free and have all the joys of a, have all the freedoms of a single man, why mm. would I want to keep getting married? Uh, so that you're right in that need for companionship was always there. The fact that I didn't find it for various reasons in my earlier marriages in completeness, I got many things from them, but Obviously, in the end, it didn't work out. Um, and now it has. My present wife, Parveen, I, I, I feel that I finally found somebody with whom I can share that kind of companionship. Um, 
that is is, is certainly uh, true of, of of my being. Regarding all my decisions being career minded, uh, it's not entirely true. Um, yes, I did decide after the success of Sandokan to to go abroad, and I moved to London, <clears throat> and Parveen came with me. The idea was we would build a life abroad because she was as excited as me as exploring the possibilities of work abroad. <clears throat> but right. to give you a very telling and pertinent uh, example of the conflict that I faced, say, between my, my, my personal relationship and my professional relationship was a dinner with Gina Laura Brigida that I wrote about. Right, right. Um, shall I recount that very quickly? Yes, yes, please, please. Um, so, at the height of the Sandrican success, when everyone was uh, giving me almost a Beatles-like fan mania reception in Italy, all television stations, magazines, etc., we got an invitation to dinner from Gina Laura Brigida. At that time, Gina Laura Brigida and Sophie Loren were the two biggest international stars that Italy had. So it was a big deal. To cut a long story short, Parveen and I went to Gina's house for dinner. We were introduced to our friends, <clears throat> and the idea was to, after that, to go to a private dinner um, in Rome. At this meeting with private friends, etc., etc., Gina refused to acknowledge Parveen. She didn't talk to her. She didn't. She pretended she wasn't there, and this created a very tense situation for me. <clears throat> then, again, to cut a long story short, we went to dinner, and at dinner, as we settled down, uh, Gina said, "Let's dance." So there I am dancing with Gina Lola Brigida, talking about all the Hollywood films, all the great Hollywood heroes she's acted with. She's delighted I heard, knew about them all, um, etc. Number comes to an end. Um, old fashioned foxtrot, uh, dance band on the floor. We come back to sit at the table. And then she t imperiously turns to Parveen and says, And you, my dear, what are you doing here? Following the star? And this was like a frontal attack by a star I admired on a woman that I loved. And I, I didn't know for a second what to do. But before I could answer, Parveen uh, said to her, No, my dear, I'm with my man because I have a man. Oh, she's very clever, said Gina. Very, very clever, this one. And Parveen said, let's dance. She takes me onto the dance floor. And as we get on the dance floor, she said, I'm leaving. What do you mean you're leaving? Leaving the dance floor? She said, no, I'm leaving the restaurant. I said, you can't. We had guests of Gina and Laura Brigida. She said, she may be important to your career. She's nothing to me. She, I'm leaving. And I was then confronted with this choice because Gina and Laura Brigida could have been my bridge to the Italian film industry, who I didn't know because I came, was parachuted from the outside and became a star in Italy. She could have been my bridge to people in, in Hollywood. She could have been very useful in my career. But... She had insulted my woman, and I leaned down to Gina. I said, Gina, I'm terribly sorry. I have to leave. I hope you understand why. And that was the end of my glorious dinner with Gina Laura Brigida. So to say everything is driven by career considerations in my life is not strictly true. Um, yes, uh, I, I had to leave India, uh, but by then I had already divorced uh, Prathima. And I said, I've never divorced my children. I always brought them to America whenever I could. So, you know, one makes these compromises in life. One does the best one can, given a sad situation. But I don't think I'm entirely a fanatically career-driven person. Uh, in some ways, 
I'm the worst self-promoter. In some ways, I'm quite a laid-back guy. Right. Well, and to be very honest, that that point does actually make me partially withdraw my <laughs> comment there. But no, no need to withdraw it. <laughs> but I just but, want to clarify. Right. No. <clears throat> and thank you for doing that because you know that that is the beauty of having such conversations. That sometimes there are emotions that just need to be explored much more so that a wider audience can get there. But uh, Kabir, if I may venture into some form of a literary criticism, you. Something sure. that I felt was missing from this memoir was the lack of a weighing scale. I felt that there were occasions where you did point out your justified emotions at certain actions that hurt you, right? Mm-hmm. But and you did offer some courtesy to others to the extent that you did voice them, you did give them certain space to express uh, what they might have felt. But and obviously, as your memoir, the book is exclusively your voice. But you some somewhere feel that perhaps that this also adds somewhat of a confirmation bias to the tales that you're uh, narrating. Like I, I mean, uh, if I could just directly point back to the memoir, I remember there was this point back in the eighties where you uh, asked uh, Pratima to not write her memoir, or you were worried that it might be self-justifying or uh, along right, those lines. Right. 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 Was this a worry on your part, or do you feel that perhaps you could have? done something more on your part to explore these other emotions which other people in your life would have felt by say certain incorrect decisions you take if for a lack of a better word boy i'm i'm, I'm not sure i'm not sure i uh, get the gist of uh, what you're saying here because um because because the um instance you give of my Opposing Pratima printing her autobiography was really more um, in protection of her because she was prone to such exaggeration that I knew that there'd be an immense backlash if she printed it at that time. And there's some very powerful people involved who wouldn't have liked to go have been named. Um, but uh, I just want to say one thing with respect to um, uh, other people's point of view. Uh, I have given space, I believe. And in calling out their in calling out their shortcomings, I have not spared myself, as you must have noticed. I've been quite equally harsh on myself, if that's the word, in right. terms of my feelings and things I could have done differently. Uh, and I can look at that younger Kabir with the wisdom of today and say, "Yeah, you screwed up there, uh, but I understand why you did because that's the space you were in at that time." So, right. un- unless you want another. Unless you want to clarify that question in a way that I can answer it in a more comprehensive way, I think what I've said takes care of at least some some parts of it. No, uh, it does, and in fact, I would rather pivot to another context that I wanted to talk to you about. Right? Yes. Context is the key to everything, and particularly human development. I mean, right. who we are, where we are, and where we're going is largely dependent on the people around us and the people we surrounded with and grew up with and in your case i was so fascinated because uh, uh i had no idea about the history of your parents and they're right. absolutely topsy turvy for lack of a better word lives of they led right from being an in love couple with slightly conflicting political views on the same side though <laughs> to achieving yeah. inner peace through unique philosophical journeys and you do right. speak a, lot, a bit about you know how it percolated down to you with your experience as a child monk at age 9 in burma and you do have a part of uh, like about half a chapter about your philosophical take on religion and spirituality but right. kabir 
who or what is it that you turn to in your moments of despair you know and and and, and frankly from your memoir we can see that there have been quite a few you have had a life where you've had moments of despair where you need to turn to something and i don't mean this in terms of emotional support because we i mean that's pretty much extensively covered your who your friends or your equations were but where did you find your spiritual support your core being as a person good question good question very good question to that because you know my, as you can see in my book my 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 life story has all the thrills and chills of a roller coaster ride i mean extreme highs and extreme lows and i think that's part of the journey of being human and telling it what's and all um but you're right in my in my lowest moments um really i just go back into myself and i think that 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 comes from the experience i had in burma when i was even an 11 year old child but ordained as a buddhist monk and i studied vipassana under uh vipassana meditation under mahasi sayado who was burma's greatest living saint who taught the great goenka ji his meditation right. who then brought it to india and spread it to god knows how many people and raised their consciousness for an 11 year old to study vipassana gave me an understanding of the way the mind works that normally our thoughts just run away with us and they become our reality they become our mood they become our feeling they become the way we react to everything and in vipassana you basically observe the mind observe try and observe the space between the thoughts increase that space and really in that process you become very aware of how your mind works and in times both of extreme success and extreme adversity i have always gone back inside me um to say um what is my inner voice telling me what is my soul whispering to me what are the strengths that i had that took me say from delhi to mumbai with 700 rupees in my pocket to find a new life what is this where is the spirit of that person that can't rise back and fight up and 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 fight the adversity that i have and and rise above the adversity that i have those are my sources of strength and i must say um even my mm, the the spirit of my parents both my father baba bedi and my mother frida bedi who became a buddhist nun had this had a very difficult life because they were idealists who'd given up everything for freedom struggled and later for the welfare of others no money in the bank but high ideals high culture knowing um lots of people but the spirit they had with which they took adversity that also seeped into me so i think between mm-hmm. what my parents taught me and what i was taught in in burma i found my inner strength there right 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 and yeah and and that that can that actually makes a lot of sense because at the end of it like as i mentioned it's it's speculation of who you are and what you've done in life and given your eventful life and where it began from i think it just eventually percolated down but uh kabir and uh, um i i deeply apologize for saying this and it will sound like a very horribly insensitive statement to make but for me the chapter about your equation and your ev- eventual suicide of your son siddharth was one of the mm-hmm. best penned one of the lot 
I assume it was because of the emotions of the event, or rather, the raw ones, which are still flowing through the pen. That you, you know, this chapter came out the way it was. I was in tears by the end of it, because I it 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 just reached out in it communicated emotions in ways which probably the other chapters didn't. But my yes. question, oh, sorry, carry on. My, carry on. my question to you here was. You mentioned guilt as something that consumed you slightly when the incident occurred. I do remember mm-hmm. you mentioning it to the family yeah. that you know from the note you you know you should believe yeah. that he's in a happier place. Yeah. He's moved on to the yeah. different dimension. But uh, I mean, I know you never actually can completely come to terms with something like this. But how did you find closure about this? How, because you 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 were. from your memoir i understand that you are a person who's very loving who's uh, who's very involved with his kids who wants to be involved with his kids and you were for that matter and mm-hmm. i cannot even imagine something like this happening in mm-hmm. much alone coming to terms with it yes i mean this chapter has touched many people deeply because um a to something i i felt deeply and um i had actually come to a closure within myself over his passing and his tragic suicide because because in the end the wound heals but the scars remain but you move on but in writing about it i had to go back into it right. i had to go back into it and i was helped by the fact that at that time i had kept a lot of notes because i wanted to share with his mother exactly what was happening to him and what was going on in his life right. so those notes helped me recreate a lot of detail right. um so i was able to tell it almost in a in a scene by scene kind of way which makes it very cinematic almost but right. equally uh, very heartfelt right. um that was certainly um like reopening a wound and going back into it and having to go through that pain all over again and what and certainly you know um despite knowing that i did everything possible um to save him um when he passed away there was this enormous guilt i is there something else i could have done is there something and then i found when the mourners gathered to assemble that everyone had a sense of guilt somebody felt that they could have written something to him or said something to him or done something with him that would have changed his decision right and, and like i spoke at his funeral as i wrote i said we shouldn't feel this guilt you know he he knew what we all thought and he made this decision but the fact is even though i said so i felt i continue to feel that guilt and i felt it for a long time before i reached final closure with it um uh, within myself um and then had to reopen the whole thing right about it but you know it, it, because it the loss of any child is a massive trauma of a parents right but then when you have a son who is poised who's a graduate of carnegie mellon university poised for a brilliant career um in in the information age at the dawn of the internet age for for a brilliant boy like that to go just doubles the pain and that's why i've dedicated my book to all young techies mm-hmm. like my son siddharth and all young people who want to make the world a better place because it's that generation i feel that needs to know that what happened um 
not just to him, but what happened in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s? What was it like being in Bollywood and advertising and theater in the 60s and 70s and the, and the age of flower power and Beatles and counterculture? Uh, and what it was like to be in Hollywood in the 80s and 90s? Uh, what it was like to go through the you know, um, euphoria of success and the and and the the devastation of of, of personal tragedy, etc. So all those are reasons I wrote this, and in writing Siddharth's chapter and dedicating the book to people like him, it is to honor his memory and also to share everything that shaped me and him in those years. Right, and. And to be very honest, I think, I mean, in in a very, or I know, I know if I don't know if this helps, but I think the fact that you went back and you wrote this chapter, and I know for a fact that this will somewhere down the line enable more conversations around something as sensitive as mental health, which unfortunately still you know somewhat of a taboo <clears throat> in this country. And right, and that stigma should be reduced. Yes, right. absolutely. Particularly with with family like i mean i am lucky that i have a family i can talk to about my mental health constantly but i know for a fact that i am one of the few privileged ones who can do this and yeah. the fact that in fact uh, i don't remember the name but very recently uh, mukda hosted someone on backstage who spoke uh, spoke about uh, the, her experience after her husband's suicide and she's very well yeah. known for in addressing fact, uh, something you know yeah my thoughts were exactly on that point um uh, so uh, we had um, uh, two wonderful ladies who uh, run this uh, initiative called speak and speak is about the uh, the guilt and the grief that survivors of a suicide loss uh, feel and uh, and um, uh, the lady who's running uh, the initiative uh, actually spoke about the closure that one doesn't get and kabir even i when i read the chapter um and i was telling siddharth it absolutely brought me down to tears because just to go through that and imagine it and relive it i don't know how you would have written that chapter going back to going going back to it and going through all the emotions and then uh, to be in the public eye and go through all of that and to choose what to tell what not to tell you know it is a different thing when somebody uh, uh you know from uh, from an ordinary life uh, is going yeah. through and the loss is humongous but you know the the circumstances around you then play a very important role in finding closure or not and i'm i i wonder how you and your family coped with it i mean it it must have been an incredibly uh, painful time of course it was of course it was and yeah. uh, for, for everyone concerned and mm-hmm. we 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 in the end um we accept it we make it as part of ourselves but we move on you know right now we're living in a time when mourning is almost in the air everyone's lost somebody that they love or somebody they know or somebody they they cherish uh people have lost a way of life people have lost a world they were used to um people have lost jobs people have lost security people have lost uh the familiarity of going to office that there there's a mourning that that's that's going on and we all all of us every one of us has got to learn how to adapt um to a new world 
And this is what happens after death. This is what happens after uh, or the world changes. We have to learn to adapt and uh, know that um, that life is full of wonderful, positive things, um, you know, dreams to fulfill, uh, families to raise, uh, jobs to do, uh, and life must go on. Right, right. And, well, Kabir, like, for, for now, I would just like to zoom out a bit and magnify not Kabir Bedi, the person or the actor, but Kabir Bedi, the writer, right? Because you mentioned right. when you were stranded in, uh, I forgot if it, whether it was South America or Latin America, where due to an, where the ship sank and you had an extended filming schedule. Right. And right. there was a time where, where you composed a few essays and a few poems. In fact, some of the letters shared by you in the memoir reflect a remarkable penmanship on your part in terms of the depth of your emotions and what you could capture in writing. Yeah, so well, as writing... Yeah. Right. Right. So has writing always been something that you enjoyed or like, I mean, what prompted this memoir into existence? You know, did you always have, as you mentioned, like you had notes about, uh, you know, from your son's time, but that was right, for a different right. purpose. Right. But was it that you had a string of memories saved up and composed and compiled over the years? Or was was this this rather volcanic need inside you to burst out, you know, with these stories biting inside you that you just right. have to get them out into the world? Uh, a bit of both, a bit of both. I've al- I always had a love of uh, the written word because my mother, as you'll see from the letters she wrote, uh, were, wrote beautifully. Um, my my training in advertising taught me uh, copywriting, which was to value the the beauty of each word and how to say the most evocative things in the the least amount of words. There's um, um, there's uh, uh, Books that I read, you know, all the the great um, writers from the classics to people which I've always enjoyed, even the foreign writers, Murakami, Umberto Eco, Isabella Allende, um, and also people that were wonderfully uh, succinct in their writing, like Graham Greene, um, whose style I enjoyed greatly. So, love of writing was always there. The desire to write my story was always there because I believe I have one hell of a story to tell. Uh, I wasn't clear how to tell it, but that sort of was, uh, it was this eternal to be or not to be, to write or not to write kind of angst I went through for 10 years, how to write, etc. And then I got clarity about a year and a half ago. And by then you're right, the story was so explosively contained inside me that once I started to write it, and I was clear as to how it burst like a volcano, and it was a force greater than me. <laughs> and yeah, that's, I mean, and, and that's so interesting, right? I mean, that that's, I think, what Hemingway used to speak about, right? You know, he used to let the words flow through him because he had so much to talk and write about. But uh, right. before I move on... Heming- to Heming- Heming- Hemingway yeah. was also another great writer who whose simplicity of style I admired, you know? Yeah. The, the, and, no, and there's, there's this oft quote no, that no verbosity, you know, not mm-hmm. too many words, not words you have to rush to dictionaries to find out what they mean. Just right. tell it as cleanly and honestly as you can and let the story tell itself. Right. In fact, uh, but just before I jump to my next question, Kabir, uh, I'd like to let everyone, all the listeners know if you have a question for Kabir, you can raise your hand and, you know, we can catch you into the conversation and let you ask Kabir direct questions. But Kabir, uh, 
like what is your writing process like i mean do you is do you like to isolate yourself while you write or are you a disciplined writer you know who sits down from like say 9 to 12 writes down for 3 writes for 3 hours or as you just mentioned like is it just the volcano keeps flowing whenever you just grab a pen and paper and just put pen something down how does this process work for you is this right so you know i always knew i had an ability to write but the fact that i didn't sit down and write regularly is what prevented me from becoming a writer when i decided to tell my story i decided i'm going to sit down and write and that came from kushwan singh because he said if you want to write first thing is put away your phone second thing he said make sure you set up a certain number of hours and you write dedicatedly now in a in a in a celebrity's life there's all kinds of distractions that happen um perhaps more than for many people because there's always demands on your time from all kinds of people that you know worked with want you events groups etc so two things happened one is the pandemic struck and suddenly all social contact was cut off secondly i decided to write my book thirdly i knew how to discipline myself so to write this book i actually would rise at 5:30 in the morning make myself two cups of tea sit down at my computer look out the window and start thinking about what i was going to write and how i was going to write it that became and then i didn't just write for 3 4 hours i mean i, I wrote till about from 5:30 to 9:30 then i'd have breakfast then i sat down and wrote again then i'd break for lunch then i'd wrote and wrote again i had this wonderful wife called parveen who protected me from all the daily distractions of life and i dealt with everything else yeah. telephone calls messages email social media you name it uh, voice overs whatever it was in the evening that's how i was able to turn this book out in a blaze of writing over 9 months and right. that's the story of how i got the book done no and and any for any productivity so listening to this this is probably one of the most inspiring ways of writing like personally i aspire to be a writer and i think you have me motivated by saying that you woke up at 5:30 in the morning to do this i mean this is absolutely amazing that you put everything aside for this book but yeah, uh, I, and also i i used to be one of those people that read five newspapers in the morning regularly i stopped my subscription to the newspapers i oh, wow. find, i'll get it online i'll get it in the evening you know <laughs> i just had to make a quantum change the way i was doing things if i wanted to get the book written and uh and you know when you make changes the first thing is you have to make a decision that you mean and right. then everything flows from that decision you know what to do right but kabir uh, like something that i felt in your book and i'm glad that you mentioned how parveen helped you through this process right because uh, i find that you haven't written a lot about the last 10 years i guess like you know in the mm. previous decade is it because i mean i know was that a conscious choice or was was there something on your mind about this another great question uh and something i'm deeply and consciously aware um by the time i'd finished with all the stories that were the most emotional most evocative most most emotionally powerful by the time i'd finished with them i was already at about uh, 285 pages now i had a decision if i was going to take the last part of my life 
and make it equally evocative. I would have had a book that that probably is 450 to 500 pages, and I didn't want to do that. I absolutely did not, because I, I, I wouldn't like to read a 500-page book. And I know that today the attention span is even less. People want to get to the <laughs> heart of the matter. What's the, what's the story? What's the thing? Uh, what's the experience I want now? Um, so, and I also like easy to read books that are, you know, have large font size and a generous space, etc. cetera, um, because I find it very hard to read small little fonts. So I knew I couldn't reduce font sizes and try and ram in more. I knew, I, and so I took the last uh, 20 years of my life and, um, and telescoped it into uh, about 35 pages. Uh, and there was a lot to tell. Now, if I'd gone to the emotional detail and the same emotional depth that I had in earlier chapters, it would have been much longer. So I just told the basic baat kya thi. I faced these reverses. This is how I got out of it. Um, these are the challenges I confronted. This is what it takes to rise from adversity. These are the rewards I got. Um, these are the people that 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 turn things around. What are the lessons I draw from it? All that and, and, and summing up the story of my life in 35 pages. It was a very mm-hmm. conscious choice I took so as not to bore readers or to overload them with emotion. Because my book is a highly emotional experience. It's a thrilling experience, it's like a roller coaster, but it's also a very emotional experience. It can be very draining. I didn't want right. to overdo a good thing. And so I, so maybe there'll be more stories to tell um, mm-hmm. of the stories I've not been able to tell in the last 20 years. But let people give me enough sales from the stories I have told (laughs) (laughs) to convince me to write more stories I must tell. But if they enjoy it enough, I guess I'll know. Right. No, I'm I'm pretty sure they will because that's something that stood out for me as well. Like, you know, how... how the, how your memoir was rather instead of being a linear story of your life, there were stories yeah. of your life talking about different aspects and how they <clears> inter- <throat> no, they were often overlapping, but they spoke yeah. about specific yeah. bits, right? Yeah, but, and that overlapping gave me the freedom to go back and forth in time, so I did not have to be linear, which I also find very boring. You know, right. tell the story from beginning to end, I find extremely boring. My eyes glaze over in most autobiographies when they do that. Right. Um, I really am not concerned about. You know which school you went to and what what fun you had with your friends in school. It's not right. you know relevant to my life. I'm concerned right. about you as a person. What shaped you? What made you? What uh, and what I can what lessons I can get out of it. So right. linearity didn't interest me at all. And this form that I found gave mm-hmm. me, like you mentioned, the freedom to go back and forth in time, which was right. very liberating. Right. But, um, you know, most the best thing out of this answer is the possibility that you mentioned of more stories coming up. I mean, that that I think <laughs> is <laughs> the most exciting bit for me. But it's very uh, curious that you pointed this out because, uh, you know, you've largely worked, uh, you know, in a medium which has, or at least at a time when you're working, there was evolving and it still is. Cinema is something that always evolves and, you know, the artistic forms are always evolving. But... Yes. Uh, how do you see, you know, how did you see work back then? Like, what, what was your approach towards work then? How do you look at work now? Like, now that you've reached the stage in life where you're an established star, how do you see life now? Like, you know, what's the... Well, pehle oh, mein ye tha, ab mein ye <laughs> Another triple-barreled question. Um, because there's <laughs> so many questions in there. 
you know, as far as the work front is concerned, the cinema business has transformed almost beyond recognition. Uh, in the days when I began cinema, if a picture was a hit, it played at the theaters. It had a silver jubilee, which is very successful. It had a diamond jubilee, 50 weeks. Uh, sorry, golden jubilee, 50 weeks, or diamond jubilee, 75 weeks. You know, and then there were the very few exceptions like Shole, which ran for a long, long time. But then films came, there were hits, and they disappeared. Then came the age of television, when things got repeated. Then came the age of DVDs and VHSs. Then came the age of the internet. So suddenly, my generation of actors benefited because right. earlier films of ours that were hit films uh, kept showing in these mediums. So in okay. a sense, it became, um, you know, you might have seen me last in Mahuna, but if you want to go back and <laughs> see me in, in Octopussy as the villain in James Bond, you can do it. If you want to go back and see me in um, Bold and Beautiful, which I did for a year, you'll find episodes online. So this generation access anything. And there are cult followings of old films even now. So that's changed the business. How much they pay actors has changed enormously. The technologies they use have changed enormously. Um, and now there's this hybrid genre of the OTT, which mm -hmm. combines uh, both film and television formats, uh, short-term formats, mini, um, short formats like regular film, um, mm -hmm. miniseries, long-running series, all suddenly being right. able to see um, where the screens come home to you. So right. the business has changed completely. How has this all affected me? Um, it certainly made me aware um, that yeah. times change and that right. we have to change with it and right. that um, success isn't forever and neither is failure. It all depends on your state of mind. You carry um, the, the, the badge of that victory all your life and you overcome the sorrow of that failure at that time. And right. We have to be resilient because ultimately it is a... A, a, a wondrous, joyous, heartbreaking journey that we go through uh, with all its wonderful triumphs and all its terrible setbacks. Right. And and Kabir, just just for the record, I I, w I didn't see you last in Mehuna. That's my first memory of you. Okay. Last I think I saw you was inside BV or Gangster Three. I think that was. Oh, that. Wow. And I think Mohan Jadar was the last one. And Mohan of course, obviously, I've caught a few James Bond movies, and I have seen you in. Octopus right, right, right. But, uh, okay, but well, I'm glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. But you, but you're absolutely by, bang at on. Least I'm watched by your generation. That's that's, that's a huge uh, accolade for me. No, exactly, exactly as you pointed out, Kabir. Like, I mean, I think uh, the emergence of OTT has given uh, like older gen, like older films and television series this reemergence and this ability to be watched again, right? Yes, and yes. I think that's that's worked beautifully for. Uh, I think everyone involved, like the viewers and the performers themselves, alike. But uh, yeah. Kabir, now this just brings me to my last question: What's happening in life right now, and what can we expect from you in the future, in the near future? What, what is there another? I know, is there a movie coming out? Is there a mini series we'll catch you in? Um, so that's you know, I've always defined myself as an actor because that's what I've done in film, in television, in theater, um, right. uh, even on radio. Um, so that uh, work will certainly continue. Uh, whether the next call comes from uh, next big call comes from uh, OTT here or OTT abroad or films or television, I don't know. 
the one constant uncertainty of this business is where your next job is coming from. Uh, you really have to, you're dependent right. on other people saying, I want you. But fortunately for me, I've done enough. I'm known enough. I always get calls. Right now, next month, I'll be doing a Telugu film um, on wow. based on, on the legend of Shakuntala. Uh, and I've done two Telugu films before that. One a film called Gautmi Putra Shatakarani with the great Balakrishna, who's NTR's son. Uh, and another with him as well. So I've done films uh, uh, in various industries, even in India. And right. I believe that the, uh, uh, the next film will come from India. Uh, already there's talk of things in Italy and, and India. But for now, I'm promoting my book. I'm trying mm -hmm. to, having written it, uh, take this message as I'm doing with you today to say, I think I've written uh, a book that will touch you, a book that will inform you, a book that will entertain you. So please take the trouble of buying it and reading it. Um, no. I've enjoyed writing and I certainly will do more. Um, this is. Uh, by my vision of the future, both acting and writing will continue as, as streams in my life, and I hope I'm able to excel in both. And and very honestly, Kabir, I hope you do because as someone who finished reading your memoir yesterday, and I exactly the emotions that you hope to get out to people, particularly being able to touch people and being able to convey your emotions to them, making them feel certain emotions was what this book did for me. So you, thank you, you so much. Thank you you so worked much as an author just as well as you worked as an actor. So thank you so much for doing this uh, with us, Kabir. This was absolutely lovely having this conversation with you. Wonderful, Siddharth. And I hope the greatest number of people hear this conversation because your questions brought out some very interesting um, insights from me. Ultimately, it's the questions you ask that bring out the responses. So thank you for your questions, too. I really uh, feel great about the conversation we've just had. Thank you so much, Kabir. Thank you for that compliment. Thank you, Kabir. Thank you, Siddharth, for this wonderful conversation. And I really had a great time this time, just soaking it in as a listener. And Thanks, uh, really, yeah, and really, the book is wonderful. And um, and I recommend everyone who hasn't yet picked a copy to please do that. Uh, it's by Westland. And um, stories, I must tell, the emotional life of an actor, Kabir Bedi. Please do pick a copy. Do write into us. Please do write into Kabir as well. Um, uh, uh, on his bio is his Instagram account. And uh, uh, please do leave us messages. And uh, thank you so much for being a lovely audience. And thank you, Kabir. Thank you, Siddharth, once again. This was wonderful. Thank you, Mugda. And thank you, Backstage. And thank you, Siddharth. Thank you, Mugda. Thank you, Kabir. And thank you so much, Backstage. Thank you so much for giving us this platform. Good night, everybody. Thank you so Good. much. Good night and stay blessed. Bye. Thank you for listening, guys. If you like this episode, please don't forget to share, like, subscribe, save, and do all those social media things. Follow us on all our platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Backstage, where we'll be very active, very frequently, and not just doing rooms with authors and uh, writers, but also with other bibliophiles and talking about everything about books. So that's it from our end. Bye-bye. Thank you.